double your chances of getting funded with Become Investable. I am your host, Kevin Valley, and I am joined again by teammates Alicia Cooper and Zenon Alain. So this episode is all about building our war chest. How do we build our investable assets? So today we are talking to Mr. Nigel Diosaran, who's a professional wealth advisor and financial planner. And without further ado, let's go. So Nigel, you are a founding member of the Caribbean Financial Planning Association. That's correct. What was the mission behind that and what does that association do? Well, our current president is Mr. Lloyd Ince, and um, that association was really set up for financial planners to get together and focus on educating the society on the nuances of financial planning and the value it brings to the table. Okay, but how long ago was this? Oh, this was several years ago, if I have to throw back, maybe close to 10 years, this association is on. All right, so how long you been in financial planning and so? Well, I joined RBTT Bank at a very early age, at 19. So I've been in banking for a number of years, and I would say I've been a professional financial planner for close to 25, 30 years now. All right, so the point of this show, we want to get people to become investable. So there's two spellings of investable. There's investable with an I, there's investable with an A. So investable with an I is that your company is ready to be invested in, is investor ready. Investable with an A means that you are investable, that you have investable assets, you have have cash, you're ready to invest in companies with, right? So we want to get people investable with an A. I want to paint you a few scenarios. So let's say we have a, all right, so you have some student debt on him, maybe. How does he move from there to be able to invest in companies and how should he approach it? How should he structure his portfolios and so? Every individual has to be taken on its own merit and its own particular personal situation. But for young people, I tell all the time, the key word is to plan. Now, far too often, we're very avant-garde and we run out and get excited about this and get excited about that. I mean, if you look at the whole concept of planning, your government plans, companies plan, so why shouldn't individuals plan? And the underpinning of becoming successful at, I think, anything you do, even financially as well, would be to make sure that you seek professional help and get a proper plan at the start of your race. It's never too late to plan, but it's always better when you plan from young. Okay. So what should this plan look like though? Right. Well, a plan has to encompass, I think, several things. Firstly, you have to set goals and objectives. And you have to make sure that you have the wherewithal to achieve those over time. So in your planning process, you first have to know where you are. So like you said, I need to know if I'm in debt, coming out of college or or university. Are my parents going to assist me in any way as a startup? You know, what is my first salary going to look like? So I need information. I need all, to, all the information. And when you write down that information, it's always help. We tend to keep all our information up here, but I always encourage people to write, write things down as much as possible or type it now. You know, I'm a bit old school writing. It kind of engraves it in your head when you write it down. Correct. So you younger people will type it out all over the place. And once you collate this information, you can then try to say, okay, where am I today? Where do I want to go? Which is my goals, my aspirations. What can I use to get there? Knowledge, instruments, what can I invest in? And that is really the basis of the financial planning process. 
So you mentioned it's never too late to start planning, but I, I know a lot of people out there with not a lot of money, uh, sometimes maybe more in debt than they have cash to their name. So I know it's never too early to start planning either. So what would you tell that person who doesn't have a ton of cash that's, that they, they're ready to invest with? Right. And, and, and that's an interesting point. People feel overwhelmed because they've gotten themselves or they've been placed in a difficult financial situation paying if they're paying for their education or just out of high school you know your parents may may not have a whole lot of financial assistance to give you so you you have to learn and this may sound old school to creep before you crawl and then to crawl before you walk it sounds timeless not old school timeless so timeless <laughs> is a better word i agree kevin so the key to this thing is understanding not to try and hit a, a home run or a Pollard six. Let's use local balance, a Pollard six. Or a touchdown. Or a touchdown. Well, that's, that's not local. But at the end of the day, it's, it's all about a slow drive towards creating your wealth. And you can try to hit a Pollard six along the way, but the singles and the twos in between, I hate to use cricket analogy, but I'm a former cricketer, would really bode you well in billing your innings over time. And that is something that makes people very afraid. But there are ways to handle that. There are ways to secure debt in such a way that you can pay it off over time and give yourself a break. I mean, companies do it. Governments do it. The whole concept of a finance minister using NIF to be able to get money in order to alleviate his situation and, and his deficit, much like an individual who came out of school. With a lot of debt, he would have to try and raise money in that way. Okay, NIF being the National Insurance Fund. Yes. You know, just for anybody here who's, anybody listening who's not from Trinidad and Tobago. Okay. So Nigel, just to pull a little bit more on your cricket analogy, right? Sure. So if you were to bring it back, right? So what would be an example of, of your singles and then as opposed to like a, a six? So would a six be investing in something like a property as opposed to singles? What, what would it actually look like for a young professional? Right. So your first layer of, I would say, your financial plan, and it boards coming back to what Kevin spoke about, is risk management. And I dare say, I mean, I am a, a Sajiko agent as well as a financial planner, which I mean, they're intertwined. And really what transpires is that you have to manage your risk. You have to make sure that you are covered for any uncertainty. If you were to save up $5,000 or $10,000 and then you have an emergency, it goes in a flash. Mm -hmm. So having insurance and um, medical insurance, critical illness coverage, those are the first things that I would say would layer your foundation. Those are actually your preparatory stages to being able to launch out onto more riskier platforms to hit your Pollard 6. See, the thing is, right, when people have, when people have lots of debt and they start to get some cash flow in, the natural knee-jerk reaction is to just take all that money and apply it towards your debt. But then if an, if an emergency occurs, it comes up, we're going to go again. You're going back, right back to debt. So how do you retrain somebody's mindset? Well, I guess habits form from when you're young. You know, they say your cognitions are formed between the informative ages of three to seven. So it's a societal thing. You, 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 I, I know the government about 10 years ago had started a financial literacy program. And that was something very interesting. I, I was trying to be part of it and assisted, but it fell out due to lack of funding, like many things do. Um, but really it was about teaching families how to budget 
and cater for, for different expenses and how to save. There's an interesting book called The Richest Man in Babylon that several people, you know, I've read and, and to appreciate for every dollar you get, if you're owing, you need to put aside, let's say, 25 cents or 30 cents to live, maybe another 25 or 30 cents to be able to pay down your debt slowly. You need to be able to save some of that money, even though you're owing, because when you prepare by saving, that's when you can take advantage of opportunity. Opportunity is often referred to as when preparedness meets chance. So even though you're owing, once you start to earn or once you get into an earning capacity, you take care of your, your managing your risk and then you move on to treating with your debts similarly to what I just explained. Okay. So can you save, repay debt and invest at the same time or is that... That's too many cents, I would say that dollar. It all depends on how you divide your dollar. You know, fortunately or unfortunately, we live in an instant world and um, we want something. We get some money in our hand and we go out and buy it. But if you take a, a more mature approach as a young person and you take the advice that is being given to you, then you will see over time that your goals become achievable. And that car you wanted to buy, that house you wanted to live in, that vacation home you wanted to get, it can happen. So that doesn't stop you from playing the lotto every week, though. <laughs> <laughs> Must play the lotto. Yes. One quick pick I play every week. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So we're ready to invest now. How do we structure our port portfolios? If we're not too financially savvy or so, should we just put all our money in mutual funds and close our eyes? Or what? Or should we go into something new and exciting like Bitcoin, especially as we're young or so? Like, how should we approach it? Well, as I said, everybody's case will be different. I wouldn't want to lead into, say, a product or specific approach. But once you have that plan and you have the right financial planner to assist you, they will help guide you. Now, a young person starting off has to understand the varying degrees of risk. The most risky thing to invest in versus the least risky thing to invest in. And to put it simply, think of a, a, you have 100 apples. And where would I put would I put all my 100 apples in a risky thing or will I not? When you look at financial programs, the world, they tell you about moderate risk, taking extreme risk, no risk at all. They want to know your risk tolerance. But that develops over time. And the more knowledge you gain and the more understanding you know about investing, I would encourage everybody to read, ask questions. Don't just read and think you know, but read and ask questions and get that information when you're young. I always tell people, if you hire me, Kevin, my goal would be for you to fire me at some point so that you would become knowledgeable enough to carry on and, you know, get into what you need to get into after sharing time and sharing understanding. So that's the approach I would take. Not a specific product to say I leap into a stock. You could buy a stock. In fact, if you bought, to give you an example, Microsoft, a 10,000 US worth of Microsoft at its inception would be worth, I think, close to $1.5 million today. You might say, wow, but what that represents is if you took a risk, but you were prepared to stay in the market for a long time because you had a plan, you would get those kind of um, Pollard sixes <laughs> that we're speaking about. Okay. But I guess, I mean, so buying that Microsoft, they made a bit of, there would have been an approach well, taken. Maybe or maybe not. Maybe it might have just been a, a swing in, in, in the wind. But I'm saying, I'm saying if without knowledge and without understanding and seeking that from a professional, if if your car is down, don't you go to a mechanic? Yeah. And if you have an ailment, aren't you supposed to go to a doctor? You're supposed to. 
Right. So seek the same advice from from a, a professional, a financial, a financial professional. Sorry, that proves to you that he or she knows what they're talking about, and work with them in order to achieve your goals. Okay. So Nigel, you also speak about risk management as one of your service offerings. So how does that work, especially like, well, how does it work on a personal level or does it work on a, for your business clients? I know you have a lot of business clients. Right. Your personal financial planning should never be, be stuck together with your business financial planning, which is a mistake a lot of entrepreneurs in Trinidad and Tobago make, both young and old, both experienced and non-experienced. Um, we've gotten away with a lot of, of, of habits um, here, but of course, due to heavy compliance issues worldwide, we see it now happening in the Caribbean. Um, one example is no commingling of your funds between your personal account and your, your business account. So for personal people, the risk management is the same. It comes from using the required insurance products to put in place in case anything severe happens to you that could quickly have your wealth depleted. And then after that, now you have to make sure when you're going to invest, how do I break up my 100 apples? Do I take all 90 and buy stocks, being the most risky investment? Do I buy some fixed income, which is like fixed deposits in a bank or money market mutual funds? Do I buy some in between, which would be like mixed mutual funds, some stocks, some bonds? And as you build your knowledge about the products that are available and you, you understand it, then you would be in a much better position to make informed decisions to suit you. So, okay, in the case where you are somebody who wants to start your own business, and do you look at that as a part of your investment portfolio? Is that the approach you would take? No. Okay, so how would you advise that? You have to separate your investment approach, um, but it has to have a plan, just like your personal financial planning does. And in there, you have to do the same thing. What are the goals for my business? How much capital do I need to start to spend on equipment and that type of thing? Do I need staff? Um, how am I going to fund it? Am I going to use some of my money that I have saved up? Or am I going to take a loan? Am I going to seek personal borrowings from my family members? Am I going to go to a place like Netco or, or BDC, Business Development Corporation, Government Funded Assistance, present my plan and have them adjudicate on it and see if I'll get any grant funding? There are a number of ways to go about getting capital for a young business. In terms of the portion of your capital that you would advise somebody put towards their business. So let's say I have a hundred apples, to use your analogy, <laughs> and I want to start a business and it's going to cost me 50 apples. Uh, should I risk all 50 on my own, although I can afford it, or should I diversify my risk? Well, you're bringing up an interesting um, point there. And in our business, uh, I'm sure as an, an analyst, you would know your debt to equity ratio is a very important factor. And what debt to equity simply means is how much do I borrow versus how much I put in. It will vary depending on the type of business you're going in. But as a flat rule, I would say no more than 50 of your apples right. in your business because <laughs> you have to leave room for fallback position and to carry yourself while your business okay. you know, generates. You're saying we should put our equity of 50 apples and then maybe borrow another 50 apples. Yes. Well, in this case, she said 50, it will be 25, 25. Right. You know, no more than 50% of, of what you own into your business. You know. Okay. There are a lot of solopreneurs out there. So a lot of businesses out there where one person in particular, he's running the show. The, the business, he is the business. He or she is the business. Sorry, Alicia. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How do we protect 
against those guys. Right. In business insurance, there are uh, products such as Keyman Insurance, which exactly is how do I replace the Keyman in my business? God forbid if anything was to happen to him. There are also things such as buy-sell agreements, which can be done if they are business partners, that if one partner wants to exit, or unfortunately one partner has a, you know, passes away, that you can be able to, to pay the shares out to his family so there won't be any, uh, to use a local balance, bacchanal or problems. Litigation. Or litigation <laughs> well, yeah, problems. Litigation, yes. <laughs> In terms of, um, you know, satisfying everyone. So yes, there are insurance products to do that, to help manage that risk going into the business. But not all risk could be mitigated. You have to, to, to absorb some risk because you're an entrepreneur and you have to be willing. I mean, many entrepreneurs will tell you their stories that they failed three times, four times, 10 times. There are countless endeavors. You have to have the ability to stick with it if it's a, a proper business idea. Or maybe if it's not, to have the ability to say, look, it's time to call it quits and let me try something else or move on. Okay. Do you do business loss insurance and that, and that kind of stuff? So let's say something happens beyond my control or beyond your entrepreneur's control that causes permanent loss to the business, be it some sort of relocation, be it the government. So there are in general insurances set out for that. You have all risk peril. Um, which include fire, hurricane, flood. If you have a business that has stock, you can insure your stock. At the end of the day, your tools in trade, if it is that, you can insure it. If you have cash moving back and forth from your business, there's insurance referred to as cash and transit insurance. A number of things that could assist you in, in mitigating the risk to damage, earthquake, fire, theft, that type of thing. Okay. Well, this is going nice and quick, so I guess we could go on to our questions from social media segment. So what I did, I went to social media and I asked if you could have three minutes with a financial planning professional, what are the top questions you would ask him? So number one, what is the best thing that I can invest in that will bring in high monthly returns? Returns in terms of income, I think the individual meant. So high monthly returns... It's a bit of a misnomer. <laughs> so at the end of the day, I would say what you can invest in to bring in monthly returns that exist in our local market now. And internationally, of course. Yeah, well, internationally as well, because we have international providers. Would be a money market type fund, right? Or a fixed deposit instrument in a financial organization. That would bring in monthly returns and be able to be paid to you, if not monthly, quarterly. So you could get some cash flow to assist with your expenses. So I guess like a high dividend paying stock would qualify under that as well? Well, yes, a high dividend paying stock might qualify, but then you would have the risk of loss of your capital in the event that the stock market or the individual stock goes down. So corporate bonds, if you're in the US, for example, would be would qualify as well, right? Well, bonds, yes. So, so if we go to describe the different levels of risk, apart from saving your money under your mattress, the next step would be your fixed deposit and your bonds. Of course, you know, there are very varying types of bonds. There are government bonds, quasi-government bonds, and of course, different levels of corporate debt. Exactly. So safest being nice, highly rated. <laughs> highly rated, yes. Of course, there are rating agencies throughout the globe that would rate um, Cari Christian, the Caribbean. And then you have uh, Moody's, Standard & Poor's, Fitch, a number of rating companies. So you just mentioned um, keeping your money under your mattress, which brings me to another question. So does it make sense 
to accumulate our savings in an account that pays us less than 0.5% in many cases. What are some alternatives we can do with our funds to keep them safe and actually get them to earn some sort of return that makes sense? Well, I'll tell you something, and you have to look at where interest rates have been globally and here locally as well. I think saving in your early stages, especially if you're a young person, a young entrepreneur, don't worry too much about the fact that you're not getting too much. Develop the habit of being able to put away some of your funds every month, right? And then as you build up those funds, maybe semi-annually or quarterly, you can make decisions about investing. The first habit that you have to acquire is savings. After you become a good saver, then you can become and a good is, investor. Despite how much money you make every month, despite what your bills are. I, I go back to the story of the richest man in Babylon. If, you, if your bills are too high, then you have to look at your reality and see how you can cut down on some of the things. If you're bare bone, then at the end of the day, you still have to find if it's five apples or 10 apples or five cents or 10 cents, you have to save something because that is what is going to give you the opportunity. And when it comes, even though you still have debt and you're paying it off slowly, that's why banks do consolidation loans and that type of thing. So that instead of having four or five different loans, you, you, you get it consolidated into one. So how you manage your debt, you talk to your banker, you get professional advice, you try to consolidate it maybe into one or two payments. And even if it's spread over a longer time and you take longer to pay it off, you may say, well, that's taking too long to pay off. But you have to learn patience in order to become financially successful. Okay. So if you lost all your money today, Nigel, what would you do? How would you start to rebuild? Right. And that's a very good question. I call it the snakes and ladders of life. As in the board game? As in the board game, yes. And I've actually been up the ladder to the top and went all the way down to the snake. <laughs> and I tell you, it's very tough emotionally to deal with. So you have to gather your strength first, make the necessary sacrifices to maybe reduce your standard of living considerably. Considerably. Yes, considerably. And follow that same adage of making sure that every dollar you get, you pay some of your debts, you keep some for your living expenses, and you put away some for an opportunity. You make arrangements with the people you're owing. One thing we, we, we make a mistake with is that when we're owing people, we tend to not communicate from, with them and, and, and run away. That's not the case to deal with it. Once you were borrowing from the right type of people, you go in, you communicate, you find a way to explain your situation, and you find a way to reorganize your debt if you can. It might work 100% of the time, but certainly that's what I have had to do in my life, and that's what I would recommend. So discipline and communication, really. Mm-hmm. So you communicate with your banker, communicate with the people. If you borrow from your father, communicate with your father <laughs> or your mother, whoever it is that you, you know, don't, don't get desperate. Because what happens with, with a lot of young people or a lot of people on your whole is they get desperate when they, their box is in a corner. But that is when you have to dig deep. And as you young athletic-like people would like to say, you dig deep and remember, you know, it all started with one push-up or one sit-up. And there you are now lifting up chairs and doing a whole host of things, you know? So it's the same thing. It's about discipline. Okay. So what do you think about student debt though? Well, we have more of that internationally, I think, than here. But yes, you do have some student debt here. Um, I remember when I was a loan officer in the bank, we had something called a help loan, which a parent would take out for the first four years of the child's education loan program. That's right. You remember it well. 
Yes. <laughs> Maybe you are on one of I those. I didn't benefit. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there are ways to borrow money in order to facilitate, you know, your education. And then when you start to work, you then run the loan for another period. Of course, your, your parents' collateral has to work for that in the interim period and then until you pay it off. But there, there are ways to deal with student loans. I think a lot of time when students get loans, they don't understand how money works. I remember when I was a Rotarian, I had done a, a session going to all the schools at Form 5 again at Form 6 level and teaching them money, your friend or your foe. Because we really don't understand how money works. We get a, a lot of money in our hand. We're, going, we're young. I'm not advocating you put away all your money and you don't enjoy your life. I always tell people, if you, you get an extra dollar in your hand, you to take some off and relax and go on your vacation and whatever. But you can't be going on a $50,000 vacation and you have $5,000 in your bank. It just doesn't make sense. So, But what if I have a credit card? And yeah, and that's actually an important point. Young people uh, start in a good job. You get access to a credit card. That could become quite a nuisance if you, again, don't, don't try to explore the discipline of how you treat with it. Because remember, it's not cash. You're just swiping and going along your merry way. It could become quite a noose around your neck as you grow older. Okay. I'm kind of hung on a student, a student loan debt, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you think? This is just a hypothetical here. So what do you think? You think it might be better for people to go invest in a business or so, or probably go invest in an entrepreneurship experience rather than go and do an expensive student program? Do you see the value there? Do you see the payoff there? Well, I worked and studied... Um, I didn't go, I wasn't afforded the opportunity by my parents to go to university. Um, so I worked and studied and it was very difficult working in a bank and going to school in the night and whatever. It's about sacrifice. And um, I would say an education is extreme, more important now than ever before. I mean, I don't want to sound old, but back in my day, you could have made it as an entrepreneur a lot easier. Now there's a lot more competition. There's a lot more people trying to sell that microphone. Um, there's a lot more ways to distribute it. And everybody, you know, seems to want to work for themselves. Entrepreneurship is in fashion now. It's in fashion, but but being in fashion and, and understanding the, the pitfalls of it, as opposed to maybe funding your education initially before you become an entrepreneur is something you have to consider. Okay, so you think get your education first before anything. It's, it's very important and... Um, it doesn't have to kill your entrepreneurial ability. I have two sons, twin boys, actually. They're just finishing A-levels. I remember when, when he was young, he was, he was making stuff and selling it in primary school. And, you know, so he has a bit of the entrepreneurial blood in him. But I would insist that he educate himself as well, because that would allow him the ability not to be easily fooled by either distributors in the market or customers and whatever. And, you know, education is something seen as, as often as a higher order. The one good thing we've done here is to create a lot more opportunities to educate ourselves, um, a lot more tertiary educational institutions, a lot more online courses. So you can find ways um, in order to hone your mind and, and build. It doesn't have to be that you go to a top-notch university and, you know, jump out with this degree and the most expensive one. And, you know, some people... I think, you know, if you look at the statistical reality of 18,000 people sit in common entrance, maybe in the end about 1,200 people out of that 18,000 or 1,500 actually go away to study. 
So you would say essentially it's not necessarily an either or situation, but both are very important. That's what I would agree with that, Alicia. Okay, great. So Nigel, where do we find you? I tried looking you up on social media and your goes. Why what what are you hiding from, <laughs> Nigel? Uh, that's always the thing. I'm hiding from you, Kevin. <laughs> no, I'm 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 available. I I am I can be found. At, I mean, I, I don't have a website because, of course, you know, that is not something that my business is one of a lot of confidence and trust. It doesn't come via website, but I can be reached at 384-9081 or be reached through my email at nigel, N-I-G-E-L dot G-I-D at gmail.com. Anyone can reach out if they would like information, if they would like further uh, discussion after this this interview. I would be very happy to share my information and knowledge and hopefully maybe some people, if they would like, could become my customers. But more about, less about me, but go out there and find someone who maybe that your father has trusted in the financial services or your mother. Get someone as a young person to talk to, similar to how we have been speaking, that you could have trust. They will have your, you know, your back, as you younger people would like to say. At the end of the day, you'll find it in such a way that that, Make sure the planning is there. Make sure the education is there. Do not curb the entrepreneurship. That is excellent if you have it in you. Learn to take the risk. Learn to manage the risk. And I can assure you that you'll be well on your way to financial success. So we spoke a lot about the importance of getting a financial advisor and planning properly. How do you find a financial, if, if let's say we can't access you directly, how do we find a financial advisor that we know we can trust? Because a lot of people have been burned in the past by charlatans or people who claim to be you know, experienced in the space and have, have burned people and, and kind of run with the situation. Well, well there is a listing of, of um, companies uh, listed on the SEC website who are uh, registered with the SEC, and I think you would start there. But there are a lot of individuals who may be working for, you know, like a Sajiko or insurance company who are schooled and learned in that area. So I would suggest you look there. Some some people turn to their bankers and their accountants who are, you know, fairly knowledgeable. Some accountants and bankers are, some aren't, in terms of their financial advice and, and how to take risk. So there are many areas you could you could seek that advice on. But there are no specific traits, for example, would you or would you want that your financial advisor has experience investing him or herself? Yes, I think that's important. Um, if, if I can't assure that I have done something worthwhile investing my own money and made myself, the, you know, purchase risk management products such as medical insurance, um, critical illness coverage, it, it really would be more me as an individual to to have any discussions about planning with that individual. The walk the walk. Yes, that's real, walk the walk. And be able to show that you've walked the walk. Mm-hmm. So how do we think about retirement? Or how much money should we be saving towards our retirement? That's an excellent question. Time is everyone's greatest asset. And young people have all the time in the world, God willing, that nothing unfortunate happens to them. So I would say that that, is the ultimate opportunity for you to invest for your retirement. Nobody thinks about getting old, but believe you me, the cycle goes around quite quickly. I'm 51, and I feel like if I'm 25 mentally, but my body doesn't say that, but I have planned for my retirement. And in fact, to my pleasant surprise, only recently, one of my retirement plans that I had set to mature at 50 matured. And um, I was very surprised at the sum of money I was able to obtain from that instrument. 
So if you have time, you could start small and you could build it over time, but make sure and start because time and the magic of compound interest is your greatest, greatest opportunity to procure your wealth for your retirement. Well, there you have it. This was the Become Investable podcast. Nigel, thanks a lot. Alicia, Zenon, we are out. <laughs> <laughs>